Hey there, True Multifamily listeners, Justin here. Want to make sure you know about our website, truemultifamily.show, where you can stay all up to date, not only on this podcast, but all of our investment opportunities and other projects we have going on. Sign up for our newsletter at truemultifamily.show. See you there. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser, here today with the man, the myth, the ninja, the cash flow ninja, MC Lobster himself. MC, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I've really been looking forward to this. Appreciate uh, you having me on. MC, you know, at known as the cash flow ninja. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but we I listened to your show long before I actually met you in person. And um, it was an honor. I remember the day I met you and came into the office and you were meeting with someone else. And I was like, oh, I got to get a picture with the with the cash flow ninja. And um, I'll, I'll take this time to publicly say thank you for, for your educational platform and the podcast and everything else, because that really helped me in the early part of my journey. And, and I learned a lot from you. So, so thank you for that. Um, oh, thank you. Abs- absolutely. It's, it's but, been a blast. But now we're friends, we're business partners, we're doing projects together. So uh, this is exciting for me. And uh, we've got something really great uh, that that you've just released, which we'll get to. But my audience, you know, to, to our audience, this is not going to be an episode about multifamily asset management. But when the Cashflow Ninja uh, calls and says he wants to be on your show, you know, I finally got him. I, I could not pass up the opportunity. So we got to talk about uh, your story. I want to hear about... Um, all the ways you cash flow and the ways you teach other people to cash flow because it's it's super super important. But for those uh, that one person maybe in the world who does not know the Cashflow Ninja, uh, tell us uh, how you got started, where you came from, and and how you got down this path of becoming the Cashflow Ninja. Absolutely. Um, so I came to the U.S. in 2001. So it's 20 years. I can't believe it. Like time flies when you're having fun. I cannot believe I've I've lived in the US 20 years. So it's, uh, it's uh, quite incredible. Um, but I came here in 2001. I traveled initially quite a bit. Uh, when I finished up university, I um, landed in the United States and my first uh, just uh, impressions and, and, and just uh, experience of the US was just what an incredible place this is. Uh, the ability uh, for upward mobility was something that I didn't see in many places in the world. Being from South Africa and Africa, my, and, and, and I've traveled to African countries too. There's not a lot of up, upward mobility. The U.S. is like, man, it doesn't matter where you're from and where you start. The sky is the limit if uh, you really uh, put your um, just put your put your best effort forward and continue and work really really hard. So that was the first thing that that really struck me. And, uh, you know, I was very excited to be here. I played in a sports league up until 2007. So I played at a, in a national rugby league in, in the U.S. Um, and when folks travel for sports, you know, maybe people that have traveled playing sports can relate to it. You can get into all kinds of stuff in between your, uh, while you're not playing sport. You can either play video games or cards. I mean, 
folks became some really good Texas Hold'em poker players <laughs> on, on my on my rugby team. But I I got into uh, reading, so I was the nerdy guy reading books on economics and history because I always loved it. And my mom actually gave me the Rich Dad Poor Dad book from Robert Kiyosaki, and I just uh, uh, I was just mesmerized by it. Uh, changed my context um, of how I viewed money, investing, uh, and so forth, uh, in wealth. And, 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 uh, I took action while I was doing that. So I bought my first property. This is now 2001. Um, and I collected rent after getting folks in there and, and then getting, getting the lease signed. Um, and then I also paid all of the expenses associated with it. And there was money left over at the end of the month. All right. I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, just like getting a book. This is amazing. Um, and then I was like, how many times can I do this? Uh, so I got really excited about it. And then, of course, school starts, right? As any real estate investor would know. Um, the other thing also on my journey that I would share is while I was also playing sports, I always had the mindset that there's going to be a life after sports. And I think that's like the big takeaway for a lot of folks uh, that they've, they've, they've come to realize, right? That there's only a certain time period that you're going to play sports for a while, unless you're Tom Brady, of course, but there's only going to be a short time for most of us. Right. Um, and, and then there's a life after that. So I was very excited about real estate and I knew that multifamily was something that I wanted to get into. So I actually had a friend uh, that I met through the rugby community. Um, their family owned uh, a, a enormous portfolio of multifamily properties on the north side of Chicago. So I actually started working right from the like from the bottom um, in their real estate company, and I started helping with apartment turnovers, maintenance, painting, uh, running construction crews, to eventually uh, doing leasing of the apartments, to eventually doing some property management. And then I eventually became part of the an acquisitions team for them. I got my broker's license, real estate broker's license, and I did that. Um, and uh, the one story that I would share from my experience there is, uh, and that's why I love multifamily real estate, and it's part of my portfolio. But um, you know, the one the one thing that I learned, and this is like another light bulb moment, besides the cash flow light bulb moment, is uh, I was pursuing this one seller of a multifamily property, and he had several properties, and. As a broker, I was pursuing this person and pursuing this person and pursuing this person and just never got anywhere. Uh, so you learn rejection, you know, as all <laughs> yeah. real estate investors would know yes. pretty well in that business. But um, uh, I got into the office early the one day, about 7 a.m. and so forth. And that person that I was pursuing for months now walked out of the off office of the leading broker's office, my friend's partner, and had just sold their, his entire portfolio of properties to them. And I was sitting there going, how did this, how did this just happen? <laughs> and then I, then I started to realize, and I learned the game because I was just a young kid back then. I started to see this is how the game is played. Like these guys are ballers when it comes to the north side of the city, uh, uh, the city in Chicago, for that specifically, that C-class uh, multifamily properties, that they were the game. They had the chessboard, right? They weren't just another piece uh, on, on the chessboard. So nothing moved in that niche with those folks not knowing what's going on. They knew all of the buyers and sellers. Everybody knew them. They had a lot of cap behind them. So that specific individual knew 
that, hey, these guys would probably buy my entire portfolio and either flip some of the properties that they don't want and keep the ones that they do. Like, that's just how the games play. These are ninjas. These are cash flow ninjas. So the big light bulb moment for me there was, wait a second. I can't compete for these guys. Like, like, how do I do? How do I compete with these guys? <laughs> a weekend warrior or even someone that's young getting started, it's very tough. But how can I partner with them? How can I produce some, like, produce value to these folks and become a part of what they're doing? So there was a huge light bulb moment for me. And all of a sudden, I changed my mindset from just focusing on asset classes and niches to people. Because it was all about finding the right people in the right asset classes and in the right niches and partnering with them um, to get access to the best deals. Because those guys, they get access to the best deals. If you're going to compete with them, you're never going to participate in those deals. So, it, and it was also a mindset shift of scarcity to abundance, I would say, you know, in, in that manner. But that, and I just wanted to share that too, specifically because there's a lot of multifamily folks. Uh, that that listened to and 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 that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned as an investor. And fast forwarding now a couple of years later. Hold on, before we uh, fast forward, yep. I want to stop you right there. There's so, sure. so many questions I have about that. So don't lose your train of thought for me if you don't mind. But yep. um, man, I a few things that that I wrote down uh, as you were talking, and I we actually have not spoken about that part of your story. So that was news to me. I did not yep. know that you were in units, painting, leasing. Um, and what a story because, you know, you recognized early on that you didn't have the connections or the power or you didn't control the board. You probably weren't even on the board, but no, to no be around near the, board. The, the people who were, you know, you yep. got to start somewhere. And so um, to start sort of in that position, that that entry level position of I'll do whatever, I'll paint, I'll fix, I'll, I'll you know, trash out, whatever you got to do to get yep. that next step, that next relationship. Um, but you saw that opportunity. Did you, a lot of people I think get stuck there and they, they just maybe just before that step where there is possibly an opportunity, but you know, if I'm, I'm sort of on my way, I want to become a multifamily investor and someone says, Oh yeah, you can come, you know, paint for me or, trash out for me, you know, I, I think a lot of people might think, well, I don't want to do that. I want to be the owner. Like, how do we recognize when those opportunities present present themselves that could eventually turn into something of much greater value? It's so, so powerful what you just said there, because there was a quote, and I butcher quotes, by the way. Folks that know me know that I love to butcher <laughs> quotes. But essentially it was, and I forgot who said this, but it was something about you know, um, in today, flipping, like, for example, hamburgers at McDonald's, most people would look down at that. The generations before us looked at that as an opportunity, as a place to start and work your way up, getting to learn the business, learn the systems. Can you think of a better place to learn systems and processes than McDonald's? Right. Eventually run, if you can run a McDonald's franchise, you can run any business. Um, so it's kind of the same mindset, which real estate folks have to take. And it just, you know, there's, uh, there's no way to get the gold without the dragon. There's no shortcuts in life. There's just, there, there just isn't. Um, and a lot of folks would look at me and say, man, this guy came to this country. He didn't know anyone. I literally came with a backpack, a suitcase, 500 bucks, sense of humor and adventure. 
like, how did he do that? And it's, it, I started from the bottom. I came here with nothing, no connections. Um, I had a talent at that stage that was sports. Uh, so I, I met a lot of people through sports, which was an advantage. So I leveraged that. But otherwise, I just, again, I didn't think of myself as, hey, I'm this rugby player and I just want to own real estate. It's like, no, I, I'll do whatever it takes. You know, uh, I'll, I just want to learn the business. And that was exactly how the conversation with that friend of mine went. I was like, yeah. well, I would really like to learn the business. Well, can you pick up a paintbrush? Can you pick up some trash and do some? And most people were like, how am I going to learn the business by doing that? And I'm like, dude, that is that is how you learn the business. That's right. Uh, I know exactly now what goes on in a multifamily property, how it's run, the operate, everything. I mean, I see a deal. I know I know what's going on because I lived in it. I worked in it. I worked, like I said, from the from the ground up, from the person walking around on the property picking up trash to eventually, you know, being uh, involved with the financials and property management side of it and budgets and uh, CapEx and so forth. Um, but yeah, you, you have to start somewhere. And it might sound, because a lot of folks, how am I going to learn anything doing this? It's like, just think of, think of the ninja, Daniel Sun and Mr. Miyagi, paint the fence, you know, sweep the floor, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wax on, wax off. Yeah. Uh, there's method to this madness, but you got you you have to you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. And it's a competitive advantage, really. As you know, it's a competitive advantage. If if you were in a position that you were a high income earner, let's just say, and you started off as an investor, you you might have a good idea of the deal and the property, but not as good as someone that started right at the bottom and worked their way out, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Even, you know, if I'm looking at, you know, maybe two partnership opportunities, one person started there, knows everything all the way up, and the other is just sort of coming in fresh with inherited money or money from somewhere else. I'm going to try to work with someone that knows what they're doing, that's been in it, that's gone through it. And yep. you know, pay their dues, really, because that's someone that has that experience that you really can't get unless you go through that. Um, you said a quote that I wrote down, and it started with, how can I, right? And that's the best kind of question is, how can I partner or produce value, right, and be a part of what these people are doing? And so I think that, you know, we, a lot of people will ask me, like, how do I get started? Or how can I work with you or, or, you know, can you mentor me or how do I get a mentor? And I like that you're flipping that question around. How can I add value? Right. And, and that's something that I talk about fairly often on this show is for those that want to scale up, find someone that is doing that, that is where you want to go. And it doesn't have to be yep. some super millionaire with, with tons of, of properties in, in Chicago, like what MC did, but it could be the guy that's got three more properties than you. Right. But you want to get to that next step. How can I add value to that person that I'm meeting at my, my local meetings or that lives down the street or is, that I met that one time is doing what I want to do? And that's how you form relationships and that's how you grow and grow into partnerships. Yeah, and a shortcut to that is, um, and this is also, I would say, an, uh, an insight is figure out what those folks are working on or what they're looking for and then how you can help them. Because sometimes it's like, you're like, well, how can I add value to this person? Instead of asking them, how can I add value to you? Go to them and say, you know, what are you working on? What are you excited about? People, if you ask people questions about that, 
They love to tell you because mm. they're excited about it. So they're going to tell you about it, what they're looking for, what they're working on, what the next step is. You know, sometimes folks that that do really, really well, there might be something else that they're that they're working on. And then you can take a step back and be like, OK, let me figure out how I can help them. Like, what can I bring to that table to help them accomplish that? You know, let's just say here's an example. Uh, there's a real estate guy that owns a ton of properties that you want to uh, have as a mentor. And this person saying, well, they have to increase their marketing efforts, let's just say on their properties, or maybe they are looking at podcasting or videos or whatever they're into. Well, maybe you have a skill set. Maybe you can do video editing. Maybe you can do video. Maybe there's something like that. Yeah. That is of value to that person and helping them achieve their objectives and outcomes so just because you don't have necessarily the real estate knowledge, there might be a different skill set or a different capability that you have that you can bring to them. So figure out how you can do it. Don't put the onus on them because they're so busy. I mean, you talk to these ninjas, um, they're operating at different levels, man. You yeah. ask them, how can I help you? Now you're, again, the last thing that they're going to think of is how you can help them. They've got so many other things they're working on. But if you ask them, what are they excited about? What are the, what is next? They're going to talk to you and maybe you could find something, a little golden nugget that you can use and, and use your skill sets and capabilities um, with to, to provide value to them. I love the question. What are you excited about? You know, sometimes I'm at networking meetings and, you know, sometimes you're, kind of run out of things to say when you're talking to someone, it's like, man, if I had just asked that person, what am I excited about? I need to add that to my repertoire of questions because that just opens up everything and, and gets them talking. So uh, yep. I learned something already. Thank you. Um, so, okay. I stopped you in the middle of your story. So please continue. Let us know uh, what happens next. No. So uh, if I fast forward and through different experiences, you know, and obviously um, as, as any person that will tell you that, that has, gotten and have achieved something, you fail more than you succeed. So plenty of failures, businesses, investments, plenty of hard lessons, the hard school of Knox. Um, but eventually, I mean, a lot of success in many different areas um, to eventually, uh, now I have Cashflow Ninja, which I started in 2016. It's so crazy that it's uh, five years. Just huh? full. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, actually, actually, it was 2015. And then, yeah, so it's like five and a half something, uh, five, mm -hmm. five and a half something years. 2016 is when it started to get really good traction. But it's like, um, so I started that podcast um, and it's now downloaded in 180 countries. We've got over seven, uh, 800 episodes between Cashflow Ninja, Cashflow Investing Secrets, millions of downloads. We're turning that into an educational platform to um, really empower folks to become self-reliant through education. Um, and I've got uh, several other businesses. One business, which I started in 2015 too, um, is Producers Wealth, where we consult virtually. It's a lot tougher in 2015 than now, but we consult virtually all uh, throughout the United States, helping folks um, position capital through insurance products. Uh, most folks have probably heard of Infinite Banking, so it specializes in that. And then there's also Producers Capital Partners, where we are uh, involved in, in raising some capital. But yeah, so now there's several other business business partnerships, business ventures, and investments in other businesses. And uh, but Cashflow Ninja, the brand is uh, yeah grown quite a bit, and it's something that I look at now and I'm like, man, not in my wildest dreams would I have thought that this is 
this is what's, what it's going to turn into after starting it with like $25 of soft software and a headset, you know, microphone. So I ask you uh, about it's been, that. It's been like, a blast. It, it sounds to me, it seems like that was sort of the explosion point or the tipping point yes. that got your name out there. And now you're, you're sort of got fingers in, in all these different businesses. And, uh, but what, you know, you're investing, you're doing things. What gave you the mindset to say, I'm going to brand myself as Cashflow Ninja. I'm going to, that is going to be a very clear brand, right? Uh, very now recognized, but um, I think you did an excellent job with the branding. And then, ha- so what, what makes you say, I'm no longer MC, I'm now the Cashflow Ninja, and this is a podcast. And five, six years ago, podcasts were popular, but nowhere near as popular as they are today. So what made you pick that medium? And so just talk me through that sort of exercise and thinking, what is this brand going to do for me? Yeah, so at that stage, like my business, and like I said, we were consulting uh, virtually. So I was doing a lot of online marketing and learning the online marketing game. Uh, you know, Google ads, you know, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then I heard a speech from Gary Vaynerchuk, actually. And Gary, uh, Gary V said that in the world today, and he was just referencing the information age, you are a digital media company first, and then you are in the business that you're in. And he mm-hmm. said, most people don't know it yet. That switch will come. And I I remember listening and I was listening to podcasts back then too. And I'm like, wait a second, what did he just say? Like you're a digital media company first. And then I'm like, that actually makes perfect sense. Because if you're going to sell it to say sneakers, you're producing content about sneakers, information. Are you a marathon runner? Do you hike? Uh, or do you want shoes to work out? I mean, there's all kind of different, obviously, reasons why you would, would use certain footwear for certain things. But if you can produce content for that, then eventually people would buy the shoes secondary after being educated through the content. And I was just looking at that model going like, wow, this is going to be huge. I need to figure out how I can do that. So um, I knew at that stage that I was going to build a media, a digital media company. And I looked into obviously learning everything I can, how to do it. Um, and of course, from a branding perspective, cash flow was going to be the core of the brand because cash flow, uh, effective cash flow management is, is cardinal in business and investing, which is the space I was operating in. And that's where all of our clients and customers and our future audience would be. So cash flow would be the main driver of that brand. And then Ninja I actually got from my dad. My dad is a very well-known martial artist, which used to travel five to eight countries a year teaching. He's wow. a ninth degree black belt in Okinawa and Goji Ryo karate, which is like a traditional uh, form of karate. Um, and I just saw him, he's 72 years old. I saw him every day pursue excellence in his craft daily. He never ever would think like, oh, I'm the best. Or I'm, I, I'm pretty good. He's like, no, he's like 70 plus years old still going at it every day, trying to get better. And I'm like, that's the core philosophy that I want to build this brand around is the pursuit of excellence, lifelong learning, getting better every day. We don't know everything. We never will. Uh, we don't pretend to be the the expert on anything. We'll bring people in. We'll learn because we're pursuing excellence in our craft as business owners and investors daily. So that's kind of how I did it. And then, of course, I picked crazy colors Amazon orange and 
you know, purple. And, um, you know, I looked at many different ways to do it. And in a, in, a, in a world that there was a lot of brands and logos and so forth, I wanted it to pop. I wanted it to be crazy. I wanted yeah. to have a little fun with it um, because I wanted to uh, add a little bit of an entertainment element to, uh, you know, to, to what, I'm, what I'm going to bring, this educational piece. Well, I think you nailed that part of it. So all of it, really. So um, that's great. Uh, how I'm going to ask some selfish podcaster questions quickly. So you say you started with 25 bucks and, and a cheap microphone. I mean, how do you go from there to interviewing Grant Cardone's and Robert Kiyosaki? You know, the people like, you know, he gave you your first inspiration with the book. Like, how do you get from I'm a startup, you know, just me and my show to I'm interviewing the biggest, most foundational names in the industry that they want to be on my my show and my platform. Yeah, I think it's kind of like the same approach and philosophy that I took to uh, when I started in multifamily real estate. Start at the bottom, you work your way up. So you build build out your platform, you produce a solid content, you beg in the beginning to have folks on, yep. you get them, you, you get them on, and when they have a good time and they they connect with you and your authenticity, they will refer other folks to you, which that was a blessing because um, there were a couple of folks that uh, they still, it's funny, you know, the one person, for example, said, I don't know why I agreed to this, but I had a lot of fun and I could introduce <laughs> you to this person. Would you, would you lo love having them on? And I'm like, you know, I still remember that the name that this person threw out was like a New York Times bestseller, the author of The Go-Giver. So Bob Burke, one of my favorite books. And I'm like, what? Yeah, of course. I would love. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, the next thing you have Bob Burke on, um, and he connects you to other folks because he had a great time with you. Um, but then you just build it. You're consistent. You produce great quality content consistently. The algorithms at that stage was very favorable and such everything in life, you know, you know, just this timing too. Yeah. So timing was great. You know, five, six years ago when I started, uh, there was, the timing was perfect. So all of a sudden we hit, um, we hit the charts on iTunes, uh, on uh, uh, new and noteworthy. And then all of a sudden, now we're getting free traffic from Apple because they recognize we put out great content. Mm -hmm. Our audience is growing exponentially. And now they're suggesting your show to, you know, let's just say somebody's listening to Rich Dad Radio with Robert K. Saki. They said also listeners also enjoy Cashflow Ninja. Right. Um, but then with the big guest, this is a process. I mean, this is a, that's a whole podcast because you have to slowly but surely reach out to them. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, uh, I've done is, you know, I play the long game with everyone and it's mm -hmm. relationship based. So I become really good friends with the folks in their organizations, their personal assistants, um, you know, always trying to uh, build connections that way. And then all of a sudden over an extended period of time, you know, uh, they, all of a sudden, uh, they're uh, Robert Kiyosaki or Grand or someone has Grand Cardone. They have um, now all of a sudden uh, some free time or they're not booked on a certain day. And all of a sudden, you know, your timing because you're, you stay keep staying top of mind. They said, well, you know, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's available. Would you like to have him on your show? And you're like, yes, yes, I do. Yes. Um, uh, I don't know. So that's, yeah. So that's, so that's how you do it. You, you, um, and I mean, I've tried, I, I've done all kinds of silly things, mailing, uh, mm -hmm. swag to them. Uh, Grant was, um, I had, I had a relationship with folks in that network. So they were blowing me off at one stage. 
So I got the biggest broom that I could buy on Amazon and I wrapped Cashflow Ninja t-shirt around it with a hat and stuff. And I said, quit, quit brooming me, Grant, like jokingly, because he always said, you know, from a sales perspective, you know, most people get broomed and they get, they get discouraged. So anyway, so I tried to make it fun. I knew the personal assistant was going to give it to him. Who wouldn't? So it's, yeah. a, it's a funny thing, this massive broom. Um, so they got a laugh out of it. So, um, but yeah, those are just, and it's just building and developing those relationships. And eventually those folks will refer you to other folks in your network too. There's such great parallels to what we were talking about in the beginning, which if you're looking to to network with somebody, invest with somebody, partner with somebody, learn from somebody, like all these creative ways, you know, what is your version of sending the broom with a t-shirt to Grant Cardone? Like, I love the creativity and how you're thinking differently about this. You know, there's so many people, all of us would love to have a conversation with and learn from like, how do I get their attention? How do I, who's just starting? And maybe I think I don't have much to offer, but to your point earlier, everyone does have something, a skill set that they can offer. And so whether it's through podcasting or video or something else, there's a way that we can attract that attention, maybe get somebody to laugh, maybe get someone to call our, call our phone back, you know, after, after some time. So uh, congrats on that. That's, that's awesome. Uh, but now you're seven, 800 episodes in, which is unfathomable. Um, I'm just about to, across a hundred and like, man, I feel like I've been doing this forever, but I mean, you're, yeah, congrats. You it's a big I'm, one. Thank you. Thank you. But I'm, I'm so impressed by, by, you know, you're like a master here. So um, you have a lot of lessons learned. I'm sure I know you have, cause you've had um, the best uh, on the show. And so tell us about what that has led to with the book. Yeah. So the, the number one question that came up uh, after 700 uh, you know, interviews is MC, what are some of the best opportunities that have been shared on your show? And it just kept coming up the same question. And I'm like, man, I think we have something here. And then I spoke to several folks that have uh, written some books and I said, well, how does this sound for a book idea? And I remember the one gentleman said to me, have you written the book yet? And I said, no, no, this is just an idea. He said, why haven't you written that book yet? <laughs> so I'm like, I, I take that as a yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it was, by the way, uh, and the book is uh, the, uh, the 21 best cash flow niches is the, is the name of the book. There's 21 plus. Yeah, absolutely. There's 21 plus, uh, five bonus. That was tough. It was tough to br bring it to 26. Uh, there's some more that I could have probably included in there, but you know, um, 26 was tough. So it was, it was a great experience to look back at just, uh, you know, the, the five plus years of just of 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 this um, and um, looking at everything that's been shared on the show, and then also, you know, one of the things that I that I also talk about in the book is the the role of frameworks and models, for example. Mm -hmm. And I actually constructed a framework that I've implemented and used personally because, I mean, it was it's been pretty special to to getting to learn weekly from the best minds in business and investing all around the world and seeing similarities to what they're all doing. So then you're like, man, I think I've got a framework here because I see it with every high performer, yep. you know, and some of the best minds in business and investing. So um, I shared a, a framework in the book. I share some of the niches in there, but it's been an incredible, uh, it's been an incredible experience to put this together. So reflecting, reminiscing, getting a little nostalgic, uh, and I'm just like, super excited to share it with folks. I, I want to get into a few things on that, but you know, I, I the thing I love about the book as I was reading it is 
it's almost as if, you know, you and I were having a conversation and, you know, you were like, and I, you said, Hey, Justin, have you, have you heard about, you know, music royalty as a cash flow option? I'd be like, no, MC, I, I didn't. What, what is, what is that even? And then you give me a brief overview. You kind of explain, you point out some examples of who's doing it and, and how it works. Then you give me some of the pros and some of the cons. And it's like, it's not too, too heavy. It's a great summary. Yep. It's as if, as if we're conversing about it. And I feel like you're talking to me and the it's great because instead of being like a very heavy, like on this episode, I learned this. And on that episode, I learned that. It's sort of a summary of the collective from all of your episodes. And so I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. You know, yeah, it's not a textbook on how to do music royalties, but if you're curious about how it kind of works and and what goes where and and how the business is structured, there's a great reference there. And then that could serve as a launching point to go do your own research and dig deeper and go find the episodes on your show about that, right? Yeah. So the one thing that I learned too, which is fascinating, is how many different ways people are creating wealth. Mm-hmm. There's so many ways yeah. and it's incredible. And again, there are certain strategies and frameworks and models that can be applied to many different asset classes and niches, but it's just incredible. There's no one way to do it. So yeah, the goal of the book was just to share this with folks and be like, look at all these different ways. Um, because what I found too is sometimes, you know, most folks uh, go the traditional route and I wouldn't even call it traditional or conventional. I don't even like those words. But they invest in the stock market through retirement plans and stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And then sometimes folks learn about self-directed IRAs, for example, and then they go, oh, so I can invest in real estate. So I could do notes or single family, or I could do multifamily, whether it's equity or debt deals. Um, And that's sort of where it ends. Uh, And the book was there to be produced to say, look at all these other different ways that People are generating income and cash flow. Um, and, you know, so that was the first thing. And the second thing, too, is um, you can diversify. You know, if you are, for example, a person heavily, heavily weighted in your portfolio in real estate, well, what are some of the other things that folks can do? Here's a fascinating thing that I'll share with your audience. So I came across agriculture, which a lot of folks would probably go would be going yeah, of course, we know about agriculture and farming and crops and livestock and and so forth, coffee, coffee beans, cacao, uh, and so forth. But you look at like timber and teak, for example, uh, when I started to do research and I interviewed someone on this, then I uh, looked into it and I'm like, wait a second, like all of these university endowments like Harvard, Princeton, Yale, these hedge funds, these massive institutions, these uh, wealthy families that have family offices, Ted Turner, you know, all these other folks, they, they have very uh, uh, large positions in teak. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Why yeah. would they do that? Besides <laughs> that, they obviously have in their portfolio businesses and, of course, a lot of real estate. Um, why do they have teak in there? And, it's, and, and I looked into it and I'm like, it's a great way to diversify as a real estate investor and as a person that's invested into businesses, because, you know, five years ago, what did Teak do? It just grew. 10 years ago, it just grew. The trees just grow. Regardless who's in office, what's happening in the economy, what's happening in stock markets, the trees just grow. Um, And it's the same thing, you know, five years from now, the chances are that the Teak trees are just going to grow too. And 10 years from now, 
So I, I, I just found it fascinating. Um, and it produces cash flow. It gives you have to have a long term view, obviously, a generational view like these families and um, these institutions. But I thought it was a I thought it was great. And I'm like, man, it, it'd be great to share these things. What a lot of folks are doing to provide some diversification in yeah. an overall cash flow portfolio. Um, I, I did not know anything about the teak business until just now. So, so thanks for, for sharing that. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> but, you know, until you I make a the great book. point in following where the successful people are putting their money. Where are these giant offices and companies, where are they putting and parking their money and how are they growing it? And uh, that's really, really smart. And you've had this amazing opportunity to interview those kinds of people and you see that. And so that's what I love about this book is like, you're, you're taking all that, like, listen, I love you and I love the show, but there's no way I can sit down and listen to 700 episodes, you know, in a nope. row or in the next year or two <laughs> years, even, right. It takes, it's a big yep. commitment. So that's what I, I really like about this um, book. I want, before we go, I want you to share the aligned cash flow strategy because you've, You've spoken about this before. I had you speak at a meeting uh, that I was hosting about this. And it's one of the frameworks you mentioned before. So if you get the book, it's on page 17. Uh, but uh, just it's so important, I think. And so can you just break it down, this strategy of aligning the cash flow? Absolutely. So um, it's essentially the framework that I've seen from interviewing over 700 of these folks. And the same kind of things come up. So the first part of the framework is cash creation. So every single cash flow ninja has a way to create cash. And that's, of course, through value creation, right? They know that the more value they produce and create to the marketplace and to other folks through products and services by taking them from their current situation to a desired situation will result in capital for them in cash. Uh, so they all have different ways of making it, whether it's in businesses, whether it's investments. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. The second part of that framework is then cash capture. Then there's a way to capture the value that you create and positioning capital somewhere. And um, that that piece is a piece that a lot of people miss. So there's a lot of things that you could do to effectively position money that you've made. So for example, um, there are cash flow ninjas that position it in gold and silver and then borrow against their gold and silver. There's folks that are doing it through life insurance, which I'm a big fan of, and that's what one of my companies do, and I do it personally. Um, you could borrow against a life insurance contract and get a loan and invest in something else. Stocks. Um, business owners know this very well. Uh, they could place the assets of their business or receivables as collateral for a business loan. Someone did it in our network, and they actually purchased the building from which the business was operating. So they... They took their business and acquired another asset, one asset to acquire another asset. So that's what I mean by effectively positioning um, capital. And real estate investors know this really well. Cash out refis, uh, HELOCs, and so forth is essentially you can purchase a property and you don't have to sell that property um, to extract liquidity from that property to roll it into uh, another one. And of course, you could do it through crypto too buyer beware or, or anyone beware, uh, you could really burn your hands with that one. Uh, but there's a lot of folks doing that. And essentially, the reason why I call it effective and efficient positioning of capital is let's just Elon Musk as a, an, an example. Cashflow Ninja, but Elon, it just recently, when you look at Tesla's financial statements, 
uh, borrowed against $500 million of, of Tesla's his own stock uh, and got loans secured by that. So people would say, why would Elon do that? Why wouldn't he just sell stock? Well, he would have to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. So Elon doesn't pay taxes because he borrows against it, takes a loan, and then puts more capital in his other companies like SpaceX and Neuralink and all these other things that he's involved in. And he does that through collateralizing, for example, his Tesla shares. So that's what we talk about, cash capture, position capital effectively and efficiently. Then the third part becomes cash flow creation. So as as I mentioned before, after positioning capital, you can then collateralize it and deploy it into assets that's producing more capital for you and cash flow, such as real estate, and get you great tax benefits. And then there's also a certain part of your portfolio that you can position for cash growth. So um, liquidity position in, for example, crypto has been a pretty good driver of growth mm-hmm. over the, the, the past decade or so. And then the final piece of the framework is you have to protect everything that you produce and create, that you've positioned effectively, that you've deployed for more cash flow and position for cash growth. Um, you have to protect this, and you do this through proper tax strategy, asset protection, and estate planning. So that kind of like builds that little wall around your kingdom, if you can think uh, mm-hmm. think of it in that way, of everything that you've uh, that you've created. But I've essentially seen this framework with all of the cash flow ninjas that I interview. It's just it's quite incredible when I listen to the story, what they're doing, um, what they're you know what they're doing currently. Uh, and so forth in their strategy. I'm like, yeah, pretty much fits into that framework. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, good on you for distilling it down for the rest of us to learn from. And and I appreciate that. Thanks for talking through that. Um, We're we're just about towards the end here, but I just want to take a moment and say, guys, it's available on Amazon now. The 21 Best Cash Flow Niches by MC Lobsher. Um, it's probably the best value for your money you'll ever get out of a book. I mean, who who doesn't want to learn from all these amazing guests that you've had on the show? Um, and and it's a great reference, and and even just kind of gets the mind thinking about these different assets that that you know. I don't I don't I'm guilty, right? I mostly think about real estate and multifamily. I don't really think about these other things uh, as much as I should a little bit, but. Uh, this is really helpful. So, so I've learned learned quite a bit from from this book already. Um, so make sure you get it. It's available today. Uh, it's already up, and um, and it's great. So get that book. Um, before we go, you know, MC, I always ask everyone for the true multifamily tip. We'll we'll adjust it a little bit and be your true cash flow tip. So somebody relatively new comes to you and says, MC, I want to start building a portfolio. I want to start getting passive income or multiple income streams. What do I do? How do I get started down that path? Yeah, I would. Uh, the first thing that I would do, anyone that's getting started, is do a human capital statement. Um, everybody knows financial statements, right? We know income statements, uh, income and expenses. We know balance sheets, assets and liabilities. A human capital statement is something that I've learned from mentors where essentially you have to look at yourself as an asset and what skill sets you have, what capabilities you have, what relationships you have, those are all assets. And by the way, if they take away every single cent that you will ever make in your life, money, if you have those and you focus on those, you'll make it back much quicker. Billionaires know this, and that's why the focus is there. It's not on just the asset clauses and all of the shiny stuff. It's there. So when you get started, make sure that you become a person of value on this planet. And you do that 
through acquiring skill sets. Um, you know, the, the economy has changed. It's a skill sets and, and capabilities economy. So folks are no longer interested in degrees. They're no longer interested in, you know, stuff that papers that you can hang up on your wall or um, just things that you, that you learn. It's like, what skills do you have that you could utilize right now to go and out to create value for someone? And businesses, they market, they sell, and they fulfill. So figure out what you can do. You know, marketing, there is a trove of opportunity for folks just getting started. If you can learn how to find people for businesses, huge skill set, which people will handsomely pay you for. So if you're just getting started from ground zero, you know, starting square one, that's what I would do. I would focus on adding skill sets and capabilities to that human capital statement and then network, go to meetups. Go to folks uh, in communities where there's like-minded people that are looking to do the same things and, and, and expand and, and get better in areas of their life. Um, if you don't, and I mean, that, I'm just telling, that is what it, wealthy people still do. They still do that. Even though they've acquired wealth, they the, this huge portfolio and so forth, they never stop doing those things, ever. Um, so I would start there uh, for anyone just getting started. Um, learn a skill, figure out how you could use those skills to then uh, create value for folks in the marketplace. I love that. And it ties right back into what we talked about in the beginning of, of how do I add value? And so if you know what you're good at and you've written it down, then you know when, when, MC, when you ask MC what he's excited about and he tells you all these things, you are much more better prepared to insert yourself and say, hey, here's something I can do to, to help you out, right? And, and to add value to your business because I know what I'm good at. So let me add value to you. So MC, thank you uh, so much. Um, I do have a question. One, one other bonus question that, we have, that I've never asked anybody, which is, is there a guest? Do you have a stretch goal guest that, that you've not been able to get that our audience can maybe uh, help you try to get on your show? <laughs> that is a great question. I'm trying to rebook Jordan Belfort at this time. I had him wow. booked and there was a power failure out in oh, California. Man. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so that's someone that I'm trying to reconnect with. He's, of course, very, very busy. Um, I was pretty excited about that one. But again, this is just a backstory to show you the, you know, pull back the curtain. And this is what it looks like in the back. Sometimes you can book big guests, too. And you could have a power failure in California. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you can't record a podcast. Oh, so, um, and then you have to go, I mean, it, it basically start, you had your window of opportunity and then you have to start again. Um, you know, so yeah, that's- For that's those who don't know, point. that is, he is the subject of the Wolf of Wall Street, right? The uh, Leo DiCaprio character there, um, right? Right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, what a get, what a get for you. Um, I do know that he's pretty active on TikTok. So maybe if you haven't tried yet, maybe try TikTok and see what you can get there. Um, MC, it's been really great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on, man. I've learned a ton. Um, for those of you guys who missed it, um, all of MC's links will be up on our website, truemultifamily.show. Check out the book. It's the best place, Amazon, to, to buy the book. Yes. And for your audience, I just want to share this too. If you buy the book on Amazon and you reach out to my team, Info cashflowninja.com. We will give you a digital version of the book, an audio version of the book, uh, a curated library of interviews talking about what's going on in the book. Uh, so you don't have to listen to 700 episodes. Uh, and then also some more bonus features. So um, if they just, if they buy the book on Amazon and just send us a, a proof of purchase, we'll uh, add them to the goodies and let us know that you found us through Justin's show too. Awesome. Yeah, very good. MC, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. 
Um, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily.